So tonight we're talking, uh, tonight we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And one of the things that hit me while reading it was authenticity. Um, and we're going to be diving into what being authentic means, and especially what being authentic in Christ means. So we'll start with the who, what, where, and when. Who wrote this letter? Who said Philip? Who wrote this letter? <laughs> no. Paul. Okay. So where did he write? Uh, where did he write it from? Jail. Where at? Anybody know? Like where? Is there like a spot or just jail, random jail in Corinth? In Corinth. Um, who was it to? I'll give you an idea. We're in Thessalonians this week. Good job. Okay, so when was it written? Close. I was in middle school. Either way. No, it was written 49 to 51 AD, and they've gotten that pretty, uh, they've dialed that in pretty good. But what it is is, I wrote this down as I was reading. I wrote, this is Paul's letter to the church. After leaving Thessalonica in a rush to avoid more persecution, as he continues on his journey with Timothy and, Timothy and Silas, or Silvanus, who we learned about last week. Sorry about my readers. He is reminding those in the church of Thessalonica that he has endured not only for the gospel, but also for them. He actually relates it to being a parent later in, in, the, in the book, but he says, or in the chapter, he says, he wants them to realize, or I wrote this, he wants them to realize, no matter what has happened to him, as he is speaking in the past tense of his troubles, which we'll see that the gospel has prevailed because it be, continues to grow the church, especially in the, the Thessalonica, right? And it says, if the gospel, and I wrote, if the gospel is just shared, then, it, then God wins. If we start... In Acts 17, normally we have somebody come up and read, and I'm going to read this real quick before he comes up and reads, but I want to read this real, real fast, <laughs> and it reads like this, we're in chapter, or Acts 17, 1 through 9, and I'll try to read it as fast as I possibly can, but this will kind of set the tone, and it says, now, when they had passed through uh, Amphipolis, Amphipolis and to Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as his, was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them. So for three Sundays, or three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Paul's in enemy territory, right? But it says, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded... Awesome. And joined Paul and Silas, as did great many of the devout Greeks, and not uh, a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob. And then we, we learned about mob mentality before. But they formed a rabble, set the city in uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, where the missionaries were staying, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. And then they could not find. Or, and when they could not find them, Paul Silas. They dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authority, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they were all, and they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard of these things. And when they had taken money 
uh, as security from Jason, and the rest, they let him go. So I'm going to have Grandpa come up here, and he's going to read our passage actually for tonight. I just wanted to give you some pretense for this. So if you guys don't know, this is Grandpa. Um, This one here, unplugged. All right, so First uh, Thessalonians 2, 1 through 16. Here we go. Sorry. In honor of God's word, please stand. I apologize. I drank coffee before I came. That's my fault. Here we go. For you know yourselves, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we have already suffered and been shameful, treated as vilified, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare you to, the, to, declare to you the gospel of God. In the midst of conflict, for our appeal does not spring from error or immunity or attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to ensure with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with word of flattery, as you know, nor with pretext from greed. God is witness, nor did we speak glory for, from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostle of Christ. But we have gen- we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So be a f- affectionately affectionately desired for of you. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor, labor and toll. We work night and day that we might not be burdened to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You have, you are the witness and God also how holy and righteous and blameless we are conduct towards you believers. For you now, for you know how, like a father with his children, we have exhorted one of one of you, and encourage you and change you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who called you into his own kingdom and glory, and we also called... That's good. Oh, keep going, keep going. And we also also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you have heard from us, you accept it not as the word of man, but as what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you believers. For you brothers become imitators of churches of God and Christ Jesus that are in Judah. For you suffered the same thing from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposite all mankind by hindering us from speaking to Gentile. Gentiles that have, made, have might have been saved, so also to fill us the measures of our sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. You want to pray? I'm going to pray. You want to pray? Okay. Hi, right, guys. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come tonight, Lord, just say thank you, God, for coming today. Lord, we ask you to be with us as we uh, study your word. God, uh, I ask you to be with this room and uh, just be in here tonight as we uh, discuss you. 
Lord, I'm thankful for the people in this room. I'm thankful for the leaders that are here. And I'm thankful for the opportunity to share your word. Lord, we love you. Just want to pray. Amen. Any uh, baseball card or collectible collectors in here? What did you collect? Okay, what was your most expensive Pokemon card? That's pretty good. What you got? Babe Ruth, like the delicious candy bar or like the baseball player? What was the most expensive card that you saw or that you knew of? Yeah. That's wild. So my favorite player and probably the greatest player to ever wear the uniform that didn't win a World Series was Ken Griffey Jr. And so one of the things I looked up today was how much an authentic Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card was worth. And what I found was this thing it was called, I can tell you, it was uh, Ken Griffey Jr. Um, it was wild. It was like Ken Griffey Jr. large stamp. So the large MLB stamp and the large MLB patch, and it was signed by Ken Griffey Jr. It was in 2022, but can anybody guess how much this thing was going for? Ten. How much? Ten? Okay, my turn. $19,900. Here's the best part. Plus $8 for shipping and handling. So what do you get when you buy something like that? You get a certificate of authenticity. If I'm investing, now this was on eBay, so this was like the beginning bid, the starting bid, if you will. So what do you get with that is you get a certificate of authenticity of of the realness of this card. But who decides who that card is authentic or if that card is authentic or who creates that authenticity of that card? Probably the guy that made it, the guy that got the patch from, I believe it was a Seattle uniform because it was the green and white, his Seattle uniform and had him sign it and had him authenticated. It was the creator of that card. So what we see tonight in, in, in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians or to Thessalonica is he talks about how we're not preaching our word or teaching our word, we're teaching God's word, right? And so if we look at, uh, if we look at the first part, it says, the, the, I had a story time, but kind of strapped for time, so we'll get into it, right? So we're in verses 1 and 2, and it opens up with, For yourselves, no brothers that are coming to you was not in vain. Verse 2 reads, But though we had already suffered and had been shamefully treated at Philippi, and we read about that in Acts, and I'll read that in a second, but it says, As you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel in, or the gospel of God in the midst of such conflict. And what Paul's talking about is he, so the story's, I wouldn't say it was humorous, but the part that I'm going to read, I'm in 16, if you want to write this down, it's uh, verse 16, or sorry, chapter 16 of Acts, verses, put my glasses on, 19 through 24. And it reads like this. And there's, there's a, a couple bits of reading tonight, but it reads like this. It says, but when her owners, and they're talking about a lady that was, so let me give you some insight. They're talking about a lady. So Paul and Silas show up. There's a lady that's following them. And then she keeps repeating the same thing. She keeps going 
Uh, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim the way to salvation. And she continues to say this to him. These men are servants of the Most High God and they proclaim the only way to salvation. These men, and she's a fortune teller is what it leads to be, right? But it says, but when her owners, in verse 19 it says, but when her owners saw, weird owners, but you got to understand where we're at. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. What Paul had done is he turned it around and he said, I command you. So he turns around and says to her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Who's he talking to? Who? There you go. The demon. Sounds great. And it came out of her at that very hour. And then, and then 19 says, uh, but when her owner saw that their, that their hope of gain monetary was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And this is their exciting adventures uh, in prison, right? It says, when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Fun fact, Paul was a Roman citizen. But it says, the crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. This does not sound like a good day. When they inflicted many, blow, many blows upon them, they threw them in prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. So when he opens up in those first two verses and he says, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi, this is what he's talking about. Right. And then we know the rest of that story. For, for those of us that have read further, we know what happens in that jail, which is pretty cool. Right. And verse uh, two, he says, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. He's telling the church that he didn't come for anything. I did not come in vain. He is there because they're faithful. So moving into verses three through six, it reads, for our appeal does not spring from error or impunity or any attempt to deceive. Paul didn't come there for personal gain. He didn't come there with a different message to preach them. He came to teach them God's word. No change, right? Pretty cool. Verse four says, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, Pay attention to this part. So we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. I would love to leave here tonight and you guys go, man, that was amazing. That was awesome. But I really don't care what you think of me. And so I'm trying not saying that like condescending, but I would want you to remember the words that I spoke, like the, the word of God. Right. That's the whole goal. You guys see, um, there's an Instagram page, which uh, I don't follow, but sometimes it shows up in my feed, and it's uh, Sneakers and Preachers. Don't follow it, but I highly recommend you look at it, because you see guys on there that are very, I don't want to say glamorous, but that's exactly what they are, and they're broadcasting the shoes or the things that they wear. Look at these new, I don't even know what kind of shoes, but they're, yeah, I don't know what they are, but look at these new. Look at me. Check me out. Also, I, I teach the Word of God. Do you? Right? So the question is, the question I have for you is, uh, as we get into verse 5, I, I was thinking about this, and I wrote down, have you, I actually I wrote y'all, and I typed it, so it's cool. Have y'all ever had anything tried to be sold to you or your parents? How did the salesman 
treat you or to them? Like, did they come and uh, just like berate you and tell you you need something and jump in your face and be like, hey, you have to buy this. Not the person that brings like a bottle of soda to your door with a carpet cleaner. I'm talking like somebody that's genuinely trying to sell you something. What does it look like when somebody's trying to sell you something? I can't, I can't, I, I wouldn't say, let's not go desperate, different, different route. hundred percent. But what's the attitude they give you? Some of so my adults in here have all bought cars, most likely. What's the attitude that that salesman gives you? Yeah, I can. <laughs> Mr. Marlin's telling Mr. John not to answer. I can tell you, like if I go to a car dealership, I guarantee you in the next 10 minutes, I'm going to have like six new best friends. They all want to be my pals. They are going to tell me that I look great, which I mean, I know, but they're going to tell me I look great. They like what I'm doing. Man, that car you drove up in or that car you drove up in. That probably needs to be replaced. What is it ready? What do you got? A hundred, 200,000 miles on it. You need something newer. Well, man, that's not my budget, but they're going to convince me. They're going to flatter me. They're going to build me up and tell me all these things to make me feel great about myself. So as we kick off verse number five, it goes, for we never came with words of flattery as you know, nor with pretext or greed. God is our witness. For we never came with words of flattery. So they didn't, they didn't church it up. They brought the gospel, right? So they told you the way to salvation is through Christ. Not the way through, hey, you guys are doing great. You look good. The church is awesome. I like what you're doing with the building. The Christmas decorations are great. Also, Jesus is the way. But man, you guys are killing it. Tithing all this other stuff. They led with that. The way to salvation is through Christ. It's the gospel. Right? And so verse 6 says, Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. So he's, Paul's talking to the church he's trying to build up, and he just tells them that we really don't need anything from you. We're not going to come and be super nice to you. We're going to present the gospel, and we're going to do it for God and not you. For we preach for God, we do not preach for man, or teach for God, not for man. I'm not going to tell you my words. I'm going to tell you God's words. It's pretty cool. It's the goal of any teacher is to have me step aside and have him take over, right? I pray that prayer all day. Every day on Wednesdays or Sundays, whichever day I'm teaching, I pray that prayer in the morning that God will take over. On the side of my green notebook, some of you all have seen it, it says, Lord... Have me step aside and you lead. We're talking about authentic people. Um, we get into it in a second, but think, think of somebody that you know that you would think is authentic or what does authentic mean? But we're about to get into something pretty heavy with these next two verses and it might be hard, kind of hard to follow, but we'll get there. I promise. But, uh, Verse 7, it says, but we, now he's talking about him and his, his, his missionaries, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother, take care or, or taking care of her own children. The, the men in this room are probably like, or the young men are in here like a nursing mother. Well, that doesn't sound tough. How can I share the gospel if I'm a nursing mother or if I'm being nice and gentle? 
So Miss Jessie is, is my wife, and uh, if you ever cross her or one of her babies, she turns into this thing I like to call a mama bear. Um, most of the women in the room, or most of you in here, have seen your parents turn into, especially your mom, into the mama bear. If somebody gets too close to you and starts trying to pinch your cheeks, do kissy face or something in the line, there's a good chance that they're going to get their faces or arms ripped off by your moms, I would suspect, or your, or your caregiver. It's a little different for dads, but your moms are always there. Your moms are not only nurturing you, they're rearing you. They're, they're gently moving you in the direction they want you to go, right? And so I wrote this as I, as I was reading that verse, I wrote this down. I wrote, <coughs> when we're babies, we're not capable of doing anything on our own except poop. And even then, we can't clean ourselves up. I, I have seen a baby try. Um, actually, five of them. Um, but I said, we need our mothers, our caregivers to nurture us along. This is what Paul's talking about. He wants them to realize that when they're still young, he was there to move them along and provide for their walk and care to be closer to Christ. When you see those cool videos of like moms or grandmas or ladies and they're holding the, the baby's arms and she's walking and she's stumbling and she's falling or he's fallen. That's the picture we see here with Paul in this church. Because eventually that little baby that's falling over and playing in the box or doing something terrible and dirty, it turns into you guys and me, right? So we grow up, we mature, we become, for most of us, adults. I should have said for most of y'all. But it says, so being affectionate, so let's get into verse 8. So, being affectionately desirous. It's a big word, right? But what it means is to long after, to have strong affection for. Affectionately desirous of you. Not for you, but of you. They want the church to love them. I want to be affectionately desirous of you. Some of my middle school boys would love for this to happen to middle school girls. It's the stage of your life that you're in. You would love for them to love you. Sorry, fellas. But it says we were ready to share with you. Not, here's a good part. It says we were ready to share with you uh, not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because you had become very dear to us. We saw what happened in the church of Philippi, right? Or when, it, when they were in jail. And I wrote, Paul was ready to fill that position of a nurturing mother. And it seems very feminine, but it's not. Like, I can't stress this enough. I don't want you to think of a feminine picture and think of, like, the, the caring babies. Some of you guys that are savages in here, girls and boys, you started somewhere, and your mom had a lot to do with that. Like, you were raised up. Paul is talking about raising up that church. It's cool. Verse 9, it reads, For you remember, brothers, this is where we get into the, to the don't pay me. He says, For remember, for you remember, brothers, our labor, labor and toil, we worked night and day that you, or that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Paul continued to work to support himself. So when he's talking about the labor and the toil, he's talking about working. Like they weren't 
Um, they didn't show up to be catered to. They didn't show up to be paid. They didn't show up to be fed. They showed up to work and share the gospel. It's pretty admirable if you just stop there. Like I'm coming, I'm working. And these were not jobs. He was, I believe he was a, a tent maker or something like that. That was one of his trades was, was being a tent maker. And uh, it's not for uh, soft-handed people. Um, so he was a man's man. And he just got done talking about a nurturing mother. And now he's talking about laboring day and night so that he can bring the gospel to you. Right? It says, uh, verse 10 says, You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward believers. You were witnesses, and God also. So we showed you, but God also saw. So it's not just about the people that are in here watching. It's the, the God that knows your heart, right? I said, God, I said God, I wrote, God knows what's in our hearts. We are not concerned with the thoughts of man, but we also witnessed it. It says, uh, and then verse 11 says, for you know how like a father with his children. This is, I can relate to this, right? It says, for you know how a father with his children, we exhort each one of you and encourage you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So dads are a little different. I'm a father of uh, five children, and my way of raising kids was probably a little more eh, violent, um, but not like violent, scary, or beaten. It was just, you know, I was a little harsher in the rearing. But what I was doing as my kids were kids was I was creating a, a kid for the world. And by the world, I mean I was creating a kid that was prepared for the world. Works in progress. You see them in here. I have two that don't live here. They're adults, and I have equipped them to go be adults in the world. At least I hope I did. Um, but fathers are a little different. We, we're, we, we try to prepare them for things. And when he talks here, when he says, he says, uh, we exhort each one of you and encourage you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Who's the disciplinarian in your family? It's usually your dad or, or whoever. It's usually the male figure. You do something wrong. There's this thing called the dad voice. I don't know if you've, if you, if you've ever heard a dad voice. Um, I, I have one. I, I guess I was built with a good one. Um, but normally if I can't get anything or if Miss Jessie can't get anything done, she'll ask me to say something or I'll say something and then I get in trouble for saying something. It's just... Listen, just, the adults in here know what I'm talking about. Just When the dad voice is called upon, it's because it takes a little bit more to move you in the direction where your mother, your nurture, your lover, your hugger wants you to go. So they use the enforcer or the father, right? But it says here, it says <laughs> to walk in a manner worthy of God. We talked about a manner worthy of God in, in a couple of two sessions ago about being worthy of God or worthy of the word. We know what that means, but it says, who calls you into the kingdom of glory? That's pretty cool. Walk in a manner worthy of somebody, of, of God, the Almighty God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, who calls me into his own kingdom and glory. He wants us to walk that path. It's pretty cool. 
So verse 13 reads like this. It says, And we also thank God constantly for this. And when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So I highlighted the verse on my notes, and I wrote adult leaders. So we've heard the fathers, the mothers, the fathers, and now we're looking at like the adult leaders, right? And I'll read it again. It says, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So what is, why did I wrote it right, adult leaders? Well, because we all started somewhere. We had to have faith and trust in Christ as our Savior to, to be where we are. We trusted the Word of God. We didn't trust the Word of men. We've always heard in the past that if we don't believe something, we should find it out for ourselves. And so if somebody comes in here and they start to teach you and you don't think that that's right, you're going to seek the actual Word of God yourself instead of the guy that's teaching you. Even if he's flashy and he's got cool shoes and a cool outfit and he's wearing something that attracts the eyes, you're going to seek the word of God out first. And that's what we do in here. Like we, we encourage you. You can listen to me, Mr. Chad, Mr. John, all night long. But unless you look at the word of God yourself, you're just listening to the word of men. It's weird, right? So verse 14 reads like this. And so for you brothers become, or for you brothers, he's talking about them now. He says, for you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same thing from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as you did from the Jews. And if you read ahead, you know what Paul's about to say, but we can figure it out. The things that happened to the converted Jews and Gentiles and Judea, including our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the prophets, was pretty terrible. Right? So when he says that they're imitating it, they're imitating this under like duress. They're not doing it because it's, it's the cool thing to do. These are Gentiles. These are Greeks. These are people... Um, that have converted to, to Christianity in Caesar's Rome, in Caesar's rule, and he's the king. Remember in Acts, he talks about who goes against Caesar, that there's another king, Jesus. Well, he's really the only king. I mean, there's other people, but Jesus is the king, right? And so in verse 15, as I was leading up to, it says... I'll start in verse 14. It says, For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus, or who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind. Uh, We're not here to please man. 
We're here to have an authentic relationship with Christ. I try to give you, I, I don't change it up very much. I try to be who I am. Um, I have a note written in one of my other notebooks. It says, forget me, remember me. So forget who I am, but remember like who I am when I talk to you guys, because I don't want to change. I had, hear me out. I had thought about wearing like a suit tonight, like really dressing up. And um, I got my hair cut for this. I don't know if y'all noticed. No, only the, hey, only the guys noticed. Thank you. Thank you. But I got a haircut for this. But I had thought about, so I, so let me finish. So I thought about wearing like a suit. I don't have a suit, but it would have been a sport coat. But I'd worn a suit in here. And would that have been the authentic me if I was up here trying to teach you guys about Jesus wearing a suit and being extremely uncomfortable? And I don't have any shirts that I can button and my neck doesn't feel like I'm dying. But if I'm up here trying to teach you like that, it's not authentic. You're not getting me. You're not getting, like, I wouldn't believe me. I would be disturbed if I saw that picture. But it's, we, we, have, to, we have to remember that. So verse 16, as we close out, it says, By hindering us from speaking, well, I'll, I'll finish here in uh, verse 15 because it makes sense. It says, And displease, God's, displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon both them uh, at last. By hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they may be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins. Who in here is excited every day to get the chance to share the gospel? Like you wake up in the morning, you're like, somebody's going to learn about Jesus today. One, two people, that's cool. Honesty is the best policy, if you don't know, Mr. Corey. If it's none, then that's fine, too. But my question is, what stops you? Well, I can probably tell you that 99.7% people, people in here, it's probably fear. And that other 0.3% is probably your thought of lack of knowledge. Well, I don't know enough to share Jesus. I don't know. It's not hard, right? Um, Jesus Christ is the road to salvation. He forgives us of our sins when we accept him as our Lord and Savior. Ta-da! It's simple, but it's not easy. Because if I share that, then I, I want to be able to back it up. Well, what does that mean? I, I've got friends, I work with adults Every day, mostly adults every day, and trying to share the gospel with them is hard. So I have some tricks. Anytime somebody comes with me with a problem or they talk about something that's going on with their lives or in their lives or they're facing this, I will always try to refer to either a Bible story or my favorite thing to do is when somebody curses God this is like one of my favorite things to do. Try it. It's so great. Go, ah, it wasn't his fault. And they go, you're right. And so it's like a win for me. But um, when, you, when you think about sharing the gospel that way, it's not hard. 
There's things that prevent us. There's things in your school that prevent you. Your friend groups prevent you. Some of your family groups may prevent you. Some of you may have different religions in your families that prevent you. Well, we don't teach that around here. Well, this is what Paul is telling the Thessalonians. He's excited because they're still telling these people. He's excited because they're suffering the same way as they did, as the Jews did in Judea that had converted. He's saying, hey, I'm proud of you. I want to come see you. I'm excited for you. You guys are doing amazing. You're still going. Right? So Romans 5, uh, 2. The last part of the of verse 16, it says, But wrath has come upon them at last. And so Romans 5, 2 reads like this. I ran out of stickers. Sorry. It reads, uh, 5 2 says, oh, Through him you have also obtained access by faith. Um, through, or through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And earth produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God or God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has gone or has been given to us. This is, this is a reminder, right? This is, this is the things we, we've seen. The wrath that has come upon the Jews as the Bible has progressed. This is what Paul's talking about. But we have an everlasting hope. Jesus Christ. Nobody should prevent you from sharing it. Nobody should prevent you from sharing the gospel. And that's what Paul is excited about. That's why he talks about... Um, that's why he talks about being a mother, being a father, being a brother. Because he's excited. You take a snapshot of a church and then you look at it in six months and the goal is to see the same thing, if not the growth. Right? That's why... So when I hit up most of you last week, I said, bring a friend. Because ideally, every week, the number changes for good. The numbers go up. Now, me asking you to bring a friend and then you not bringing a friend doesn't mean that you're hindering me from sharing the gospel with somebody. But you might miss a chance. When you invite somebody to church, they say, hey, I can't go. They're like, hey, well, since you can't go, let me tell you about Jesus a little bit. And it sounds cliche, but it's what we're called to do. It's a great commission. So I talked about authenticity in the beginning. This is what Paul is bringing up. He's, he wants to encourage the authentic relationship that these Thessalonians or the church Thessalonica has with Christ. And he wants them to grow. Be strong. Right? All the way back in the Old Testament, Joshua. Be strong and courageous, for I'm always with you. God's with you. You may not know. You may be scared. There may be somebody stopping you. But if you've got that relationship, it's going to be hard to stop somebody. If I know how to do something or if I, somebody tells me to do something and it's for somebody that I love, it goes back to that mama bear thing. You're not going to stand in my way from sharing it. 
It doesn't mean I'm going to get super violent and throw hands, but I will find a way to share Christ. Some of you may be in here tonight and be like, this dude's crazy. I'm fine with that. But the whole, the whole goal for tonight was to nurture you guys. And I'm not really a hugger, but I, I want to help you in your walk with Christ. There's adult leaders in here that want to help you. They want to walk alongside you with your walk with Christ. If it hasn't started yet, they'd love to help you get started. If you have questions, they'd love to answer your questions. We're here. We're here because we were brought here. We were, we've learned the word of God. We want to share the word of God with you. That's why we're here. We love you. So do you have that relationship with Christ? Do you have something that needs to be nurtured? Do you have something that needs to be worked on? Let us know. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now, Lord, just say thank you, God, for giving us today. Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the opportunity to, to just teach your word. Thank you for the students and the adult leaders in this room that, uh, that are here, just to be here. Lord, thank you for bringing them in. I pray tonight that uh, those that don't have that authentic relationship with you or just a relationship with you to begin with will ask that question. I pray that those that are here tonight with a friend because their friend brought them, I pray that that friend prays over them. I pray that, uh, I pray that you be with them as they have these discussions, Lord. I pray with them as they read your word, as they seek you. God, we love you. Jesus, I pray. Amen.